Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 is what we're going to be in today. Verse 13 through 3, 5. Not chapter 2, 1 through 12, um, and said chapter 2, 13 through 3, 5 this morning. North Africa, 331 A.D. Monica was born. Born to affluent parents, Roman citizen parents, and parents that were able to afford servants. And one of the servants that brought Monica up was a Christian and led Monica to the Lord. She was given in marriage, as the tradition was back then, to a non-Christian. But she really lived out 1 Peter 3, that even though her husband was not a Christian, she loved him. She was gracious to him. She was kind to him. Her husband became a Christian later in his life. She also worked very hard in bringing her children up in the Lord. Her most promising son got a top-notch education, but he was repulsed by Christianity. He found Scripture repelling. He found himself too witty and too proud to believe such an outlandish thing. He lived with a woman, fathered a child by her, lived a licentious life. Monica realized she didn't have words to convince her son to believe. So she prayed a lot. And one day, her son became a Christian. His name, Augustine, or Augustine. One of the greatest theologians of church history. A pastor, a Christian thinker. One that has influenced the church 2,000 years later. When his mom died, he wrote out a prayer. And it said this, Now gone from my sight, who for years has wept over me, that I might live in your sight, O Lord. What an amazing mom. A mom who persevered, who wept and struggled for her son and carried him along through her prayers. You know, prayer... It's not just something we type up on a Facebook post. Or we say when we don't know what to say. Oh, I'm praying for you. Or it's not something we say to make us look like we're pious. Or, oh, this is what Christians do. No, prayer roots us in our distinctiveness. It comforts us in our present work. And it presses us forward in the power of of his faithfulness. Say it again, if you like to write things down. Prayer roots us in our distinctiveness. It comforts us in our present work. And it presses us forward in the power of his faithfulness. 
Well, let's read together what it says about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 3-5. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored um, as, um, happening, uh, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your heart your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The word of the Lord. Well, the first rule of uh, giving a speech is never apologize. Uh, so I'm going to apologize. I'm very sorry that we're not going to be going through 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I admit, it is a passage that is very, very difficult. It's probably one of the most difficult passages in all the epistles. Um, I just did not have enough time this week. It probably deserves 40 to 50 hours of work to really think through the text. And I did not have time uh, to really dedicate to it. I, did, I was 10 hours in, and I said, I can't do this. This is too big. It's apocalyptic literature, which is a little bit different than the letter and epistle genre that we're in. Sometimes Paul uses apocalyptic literature, just like the book of Daniel does. There is good news, though, for you. If you really want to know about this man of lawlessness, what could be the Antichrist, the second coming, eschatology, next summer we'll be preaching through the book of Revelation. And I'm already spending time on some good eschatology work um, that uh, we'll be ready by next summer uh, to preach through some very hard things and uh, that I will be able to do justice to eschatology, a topic that sometimes is not had good justice done to it in the church. And uh, so be ready for that next summer. I apologize. If you'd like to have coffee and talk with me about the man of lawlessness, this is a big thing for you. Let's do it. We can sit down and wrestle with the text together. I'd love to talk about that. But uh, in our series on Thessalonians, we'll not be going through that passage um, this time. Something I don't like to do to not go through something, but I think it deserves better justice than uh, um, the amount of time that I was able to spend this week. Okay, that's my apology. Now just take that out of the way. Let's get to this passage just here, shall we? So here is a letter, again, to a group that has been roughed up. So this is a young church in a city uh, that is just influenced by Roman culture, you know, a metropolitan city. And these people, a lot of people, have come to know the Lord in the city, but they have faced some persecution. Some have been jailed. 
Some have been socially ostracized because of converting to Christianity. A lot of them have been ostracized because they are living by a different sexual ethic that the Roman world is living by. They're ostracized too by their view of work, that work is actually good. Many people did not work and said they just lived off the patronage system of these wealthy Roman citizens. And so many of them went away from that patronage system and went back to work. And that ostracized them. And on top of that, now there is further discouragement. That's why Paul writes a second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And the further discouragement is this, that some people within the church, and maybe from churches outside of Thessalonica, are telling people, Christ has already come back a second time. And you missed the boat. He's already come and you've missed the boat of his coming. And this is discouraging some of the people. And as we saw, we see in verses 1 through 12, Paul is trying to tell them, no, 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 no. Christ has not come back yet. These are the signs that it will happen before he returns. So these people are discouraged. And here Paul in this section is trying to, to encourage them. And the way that he encourages them in this passage is that he encourages them by thanking God for them. That's how he sets it up first. Thanking God for them. And what does he say? Let's look. Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. How is the idea of being chosen by God something that would be encouraging? We think about it, these people that are in a discouraging time, they might think, man, I, I joined the wrong group. <laughs> I saw this cute girl, I followed her to a meeting, and then all of a sudden something came over me and I said, Jesus, yes. I just happened to be outside one day when this street preacher comes up and starts sharing this message and I was just at the wrong place at the wrong time and now I'm part of this group that is facing major persecution. Great. My dad and my mom started going to this group and I came to faith too. Man, I picked the wrong parents. Paul's saying, no, no, this is nothing of yourself. This is nothing that you have done, being at the wrong place at the wrong time, being a certain pedigree, being children of certain parents. No, this is a supernatural work. God has chosen you. He has worked upon you. This isn't some chance encounter. This is actually God working in your life and his spirit coming in you and sanctifying you. This week, I was at Wheaton College Church uh, with scholars and other pastors learning about Ecclesiastes. If you don't know about Wheaton College and Wheaton College Church, this is the Harvard of evangelicalism, as they call it. And uh, I had never been to Wheaton before. 
And uh, I was expecting, okay, here is the pedigree of evangelical Christians I'm going to be around that have been steeped in this evangelicalism, this Christianity their whole life. Those are the people I'm going to be around. And I was very surprised. These scholars and these pastors that are around, they came from different countries, different colors, different backgrounds. And in my conversations with many of them, it wasn't, oh, I went to Wheaton College (laughs) or I grew up in this Christian home. One guy I sat next to said, I went to this very liberal church that really didn't preach the Bible at all. And uh, one day I asked my pastor, I said, "Um, I want to know about the Bible. And they said, well, we really don't do that here. (laughs) And uh, so he started reading the Bible when he was 16 years old. And he came to faith. And now he's sitting next to me as we work through Ecclesiastes together. And those stories were throughout the conference. You see, God chose those people. He worked in those those lives. He plucked them out with his supernatural power. It's not just some amazing Christian pedigree that they lived in. No, God worked upon them. See, I've been on the other end. I've been around families that, you know, have rich, deep Christian history. Kids that have gone to private Christian schools. Everything going for them in the Christian world. And some of those people are the furthest away from God that I've ever seen. You see, Thessalonians is not here, is not saying, this book is not saying you're here by chance. This is an encouragement. It's something that's happened to you by God. And how can you tell? How can you tell something is working in you? He said, God chose you as the first first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That word sanctification means a work in holiness to be made holy. Saying the Spirit is working in you. You are holding firm. It is hard and it is difficult. You are struggling in the midst of persecution, but you are standing by the truth. That is evidence. Evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you in your life. Even though it's hard and difficult what's happening around you. You know, that might be a challenge to some of us. To some of us in the valley, some of us here at this church, that Christianity is not something that is gained by osmosis. I hang around Christians. If I'm around them enough, their piousness will come into my heart and I'll be changed. Although that can happen, their encouragement can happen, but it actually is a work of God that has to happen in you. You aren't just saved by being around Christianity. You are saved by God working in your heart.
You know, saying stuff like that can scare people. It might scare you like, oh great, am I really saved? I want to encourage you. If you have that very statement in your mind, am I really saved? I'm struggling with something. I'm dealing with something. That shows that something is happening in your life. The Holy Spirit is working in you. And these people might be going through the same thing. Am I really okay? Is this really good? Am, am, I, really, am I really loved by God? Because some people are saying Christ has already come and I've been left here. And Paul's saying, no, stand firm and hold traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand firm in knowing that struggle that you're having, that work that God is doing upon you is evidence of His Spirit working upon you. I love this idea of hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Some people love to take out the idea of traditions. It's actually right here in the Bible. There are traditions there is the word. There is things that have been taught that we need to stick to. You know, some people sometimes object to some things that we do in worship here. These calls and responses. These written prayers. These confession of sins that are written. This assurance of pardon that you read every week. That doesn't seem very spontaneous. Doesn't seem very spirit-led. I would encourage you that the reason that we write down some of our prayers, I sometimes pray spontaneously up here, but the reason that we write them down is because we need to be reminded of the truth when we wander from it. Trust me, you don't want Dan Breed's feelings guiding the worship service. You want God's truth guiding the worship service. That might be true for you. You don't want your feelings guiding your worship service. It can, but you want your feelings guided by God's word. So that truth can live in you. And then you say, wait, I'm starting to say these things. These songs I'm singing or these prayers I'm saying, they start to work into your heart so that you stand firm in the truth even when your emotions go like this. Even when you feel like your faith is on shifting sands. That you can speak the truth of what is rock solid. Does that mean we can't raise our hands? Absolutely not. I want us to raise our hands. <laughs> Does that mean we can't be emotional and cry in service? I want people to cry in the service. We need emotions in the service. But our emotions are dictated by the word of the Lord. That should be our foundation. Okay. So, moving on. Okay. Next, verses 16 through 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. See, Paul has this tendency that when problems arise, he just starts praying. That's what he does. He just starts praying. 
And he doesn't start this passage and say, let's bow our heads and fold our hands and pray. No, he just calls out to the Lord. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. He's saying, God, may he, you do that to them. It's like a prayer of peace that he's giving them in letter form. I love it too. He says, he starts with Jesus Christ and then goes to God our Father. Very interesting here that he would put Christ before God the Father. Many people argue that the high Christology, the idea that Jesus is God, wasn't actually developed until the latter part of um, the first century or even the second century, that this is just made up over time in Christendom. Here is a letter written 15 years after Christ, and already the church is putting Christ before God, not that Christ is above God, but saying he is equal to God the Father. A high Christology, the Trinity. You saw Holy Spirit here. You saw God the Father. You saw God the Son already has been enveloped in the church. And it's not that Christ is about grace and God is about judgment. No, he says eternal comfort and good hope through grace. This is evident of both God the Father and God the Son. And he's trying to encourage them by looking at this evidence of what God has done eternally. You know, Aaron and I, we sometimes have some strong conversations. Strong conversations, maybe some people might call it a fight, you know, arguments, whatever you might want to call it. But one thing we don't like to hear in the middle of a strong conversation is you know, maybe we should pray. See, when Aaron says that, when I say that to Aaron, she's like, oh great, the pastor has come, right? Aren't you the spiritual one? And then when Aaron says it to me, let's pray, I'm like, man, I, I should be the one to have been saying it first. But now she has. Now I'm feeling like I'm no good as a person. She's pious, I'm not. See, somehow I don't get it that when someone wants to pray about something in our relationship, that we think they're more holy and they've got it together. See, you don't have to have it figured out to pray. You don't have to have it figured out for God to enter the situation. You know, sometimes the actual action of when you're in the middle of a fight, when your blood pressure is going up at work, when there is great anxiety, or you feel out of control and just in despair, that maybe a great first reaction is prayer. Because prayer is an admittance, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. God, comfort me. Help me. See, when Aaron says it to me, or I say to Aaron in the middle of a fight, let's pray. It's not saying, oh, I'm going to figure out the answer in my prayer. I'm going to say, God, please help Aaron to see my way. No. 
It's, God, help us. Give us wisdom. We don't know what to do. I think about Monica, Augustine's mom, praying through her tears. God, I don't know what to say to my son. God, just please come to him, help him, bring someone alongside that will just nurture him. I know there's probably some parents that have had tears about their children have prayed those exact prayers. And then, Paul ends this section saying, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. It's interesting. Paul has been talking before this about the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the control of God. But that doesn't drive him to just throw up his hands and say, well, so be it. No, it drives him to prayer. See, just because you believe in the control of God doesn't mean you don't pray. I'm a firm believer that God has orchestrated our conversations with him, our prayers, to do work in this world. That's what he's chosen. He's chosen prayer to be his instrument for work in this world. Isn't that amazing? He could have done it just by himself, on his own. But he said, I want to work through relationship with my people. Sure, I believe in the full sovereignty of God. He knows all things. He does all things. But he uses prayer for his glory. Yes, prayer shapes our character. Yes, prayers that we might pray might not be answered in the way that we think they should be answered. But truthfully, many times we go, I'm glad God didn't answer it the way that I wanted him to answer it. See, Paul was in a place that he could have been discouraged Here he saw great work in Thessalonica. Many conversions, many people coming to know the Lord. And then he was kicked out. And then he was sent to Athens and Corinth where he was persecuted. Where he didn't see much fruit. In fact, he's writing this letter, he's probably standing trial in Corinth. But he prays. He says, I pray, Lord, that you, I pray, brothers, that you would pray for me. Then the same way that God has worked upon you in that city, he would work upon what's going on with me. And this battle that is going on, it's not just a battle of 
ignorance. These people in Corinth and Athens don't just understand. It's not a, a battle of just sociological impact. It's monotheism versus paganism. No, this is a battle against evil and wickedness. There is something supernatural happening that he needs the Lord to intercede into this place. Paul, and Paul is so crazy. (laughs) He says, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. How can Paul say the Lord is faithful? His message is struggling. It's Christianity is far from the major opinion in Rome. He can't go back to Thessalonica. He's facing trial. Seems it's just like a, a false hope. How can he say the Lord is faithful? I wonder the same thing. I see your posts on Facebook about Bruce. Here's Bruce Marker, one of our elders. I know he's had a stroke recently. Things are just not good. It's a hard situation. And people say, I'm praying for you. Praying for you, praying for you. That's, oh, like, like, that's the constant thing. Praying, 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 praying for you. Really? Why? He could die. Is God faithful? Bruce would be the first one to tell you, and Carol, as they tell the doctors, the doctors say, oh, he could die here, or here, or here. And Bruce and Carol constantly say to the doctors, you know what? You don't know the time I'm going to die. The only one that knows my days is the Lord. How can Bruce, how can Carol, how can we as a church say God is faithful and continue to pray? We know God is faithful because what he has done. His steadfastness, his faithfulness, his love has been shown that it's defeated the power of evil. It's defeated death. It has gone through and been faithful. I sometimes wonder when people, not saying we do this, but when people say, oh, I'm praying What are you praying for? Why do you think Jesus said, pray your kingdom come? We are praying that we would see the truth of what Jesus lived, lived out here. That it would come about. We are praying in the faithfulness that we know that one has done it. That no matter our trials, our issues, our facing death, 
We are faithful in his faithfulness, that he did it. This last sentence is so good. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You know, why do we pray? It's not something we just say. That's something we just hope things will get better. No, it presses us to a conversation in a unity with a God who loves us and who was steadfast through the pain in this world so that our hearts would be transformed now into his life and his faithfulness. See, prayer roots us in our identity in Christ. It comforts us even in the fights and anxiety we have now. And it presses us forward in the power of his faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that we get to talk with you, that we get to enter into your throne room, that we get to dialogue with you with the pain and hurts of our life is amazing. Let us not take it for granted. Lord, let us be a people that pray without ceasing, that you would be on our lips, that you would enter into each area of our life that there are struggles. And when we doubt, when we are discouraged, we would be reminded of your faithfulness. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.